You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation. Man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts. Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. Damn right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Because Stone Cold sets up. If you're going to blitz, come strong. But don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I'm Jeff Howe. I waste any time to get right into it. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, we thank you so much for enjoying another presentation of Blitz Podcast over a decade and still going strong. Thanks to you, the listeners. We could not do this without you, so thank you for your support of the show. Multiple ways to get this podcast, but probably the best way is anywhere you get your podcasts. Search Horns 24-7. It's no dashes, slashes, or spaces. Just cram it all together. Once you find it, click that follow button, get every episode of The Blitz when it drops, and don't forget to leave us, if you'd be so kind as to do so. Leave us a five-star review. We would greatly appreciate it. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drive machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? I'm trying to avoid a yawn right there. Uh, a man who's never tired uh, can go... All day long and talk about whatever, uh, pop culture, whatever you need him to talk about. Because he's a renaissance man, wears many hats for the Austin Radio Network, including co-hosting Ball Don't Lie each and every weekday from 3 to 7 with Mike Harge. But for the purposes of this podcast, he's our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn 2002 UT All-American 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program. Number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. I appreciate the intro, brother. Thank you, as always. Still the best number 21 in the history of Texas football. Unfortunately. It's, uh, <laughs> that should be the case. That wasn't that good. Keaton so. Crawford, you're on the clock. Somebody. <laughs> keep changing the numbers, though. It ain't because they ain't good players haven't won. It's because good players, all the good players these days, they, there's no loyalty to numbers anymore. Right. 
Yeah. <laughs> Starting to sound like an old man. No, it's not though. Man. No, it's true. No, I don't no, care. Yeah. I don't, like, it's not like I'm not. I'm not preaching. Well, I'm not on the soapbox, the, but it's just an observation. In the NIL guys changed era. numbers like three or four times. In the yeah, NIL era, guys are numbers buying numbers from each other now. Yeah, like it's not a big deal. Allegedly, even in the, the pros though, there's loyalty to your number usually a little more than there is now. But yeah, in college, it, guys don't seem to none. Uh, Rod, the first always... guy I ever remember changing his was Jordan. For the 45? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Except for the one time he had his jersey stolen. I'm sure guys changed numbers. We just didn't care enough to no, yeah. talk about that, it. That's what yeah. I'm saying. That's for the first one that stood yeah. out to me. Yeah, that's a good point. Rod, you, uh, you've always uh, – I like the way you've always talked about you know, coaches are, are loyal to – you talk about player loyalty. Coaches are loyal to money. They'll go wherever they, uh, yep. they can find work. And three gentlemen have found work at the University of Texas on Steve Sarkeesian's staff, and that's going to be the bulk of what we talk about this week are the three new special assistants to the head coach. Last year you only had one. You had Gary Patterson. But now you got three special assistants to the head coach who specialize in three different areas of the game. You've got Joe DiCamillis, a longtime NFL special teams coach, who's going to be a special assistant uh, to the head coach. You've also got uh, Payam Sadat, uh, who is a longtime college defensive coordinator, most recently uh, was the defensive coordinator at FCS Portland State. He's also been in the Army and a couple other places. And let's go on the Wayback Machine real quick to after the 2010 season, to that offseason, when Texas was in the market for a new offensive coordinator. Mac Brown moved on from Greg Davis. And when Mac McCorder retired, Texas was also on the, on the hunt for a new offensive line coach. And it was said pretty early in that search that the apple of Mac Brown's eye was the combination of Paul Christ, then the offensive coordinator at Wisconsin, and Bob Bostad, mm-hmm. the offensive line coach at Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Well, over a decade later, Paul Christ is finally coming to the 40 Acres. <laughs> well, he's not doing it as a play caller. He is going to be the special assistant to Steve Sarkeesian. Rod, of all three of these hires, which one – jumped out to you as wow i really like that move well i like them all yeah um i don't think it's about which one you like them i think which one's going to be the most impactful right which one solves the most problems which one addresses the most issues for sark and to me easily the one that addresses the most issues is paul chris right coming in because we saw what the sark running game looked like in the washington game without Bijan and Rojo, mm-hmm. we've remarked about the exceptional generational ability for Bijan and Rojo to break tackles and force missed tackles. You're talking about they're, they're both top five since 2014 in Basically both in the, in the <laughs> forced missed yeah. tackles and, since, and in, uh, you know, yards after contact per carry. They're both up there. It's talking about exceptional talent. Mm-hmm. And then when Sark tried to run his same offensive concepts in the running game without those two cheat codes and without the training wheels, I mean, would you average less than three yards per carry versus Washington? Washington actually is a good defensive front, so I'm not mm-hmm. saying that, right. you know, not. I want to give some credit to Washington, but he understands, all right, for, for me to have a balanced uh, offense, I need to make sure that I have more – ideas right you need to have more um, you know creativity in the run game because it may not just be as simple as handing it off to Bijan and hand it off to Rojo which was essentially you know that was my theme for last year right put some Bijan on it with a side of Rojo that run you two games that we you didn't you shouldn't have won necessarily based on your schematic advantage because you didn't have one 
Mm-hmm. You just decided, all right, you know what, Iowa State, to hell with it, man. Let's just give it to Bijan, give it to Rojo. Baylor, hell, let's give it to Bijan and give it to Rojo. When you the K-State game, too. Uh, yeah, you know what I mean? And, and you know, that was that was wise. I'm not saying that. Yeah. No, no, that was smart move by him. Mm-hmm. But now we're talking about the, you know, the loss of both of those players who are going to play in the NFL, both going to end up starting, in my opinion, by the end of, like, this year or maybe even two years because Bears yeah. love Rojo. We can talk about that later. But, yeah, you need some more creativity and you need some more, you know, I, I think you need some more juice in the running game. And it's I, I'm not saying Jay Brooks ain't got it. I'm not saying Keelan Robinson ain't got it. I'm not saying Cedric Baxter ain't got it. But they're unproven commodities. Yeah. Yep, and they're replacing guys that are top tier of Ex- the entire sport. So Exactly. <laughs> like Not only are you hoping that they can hit – their expectations, what you expect as a Texas running back, or to just be an above average one. We're talking about elite tier elite. performance, and even doing the stuff that, like, say, you don't get necessarily all the metrics to show he's a good runner, but understanding every play call and fitting in to every pass scheme that you need to, or being able to be malleable. And then when you add Chris, like, even though the side that he specializes on over his career had been more offensively and Gary Patterson was more defensively. Just having that former head coach that can be your special assistant to the head coach on the side that can be sort of just the eyes and ears. Because we talked about it, especially in year one, you know, it's a big load for a guy like Sarkeesian who's used to calling the offense and only being to focus on the offense and then taking on the duties of in-game head coaching and all the stuff Mm -hmm. that comes with it. And that can be overbearing, especially when, say, your offense isn't performing how you want it to and you're really trying to focus on that. So where you may become deficient on a, you know, play-by-play, game-by-game basis, even during the games or in preparation leading up to, you have another top-tier D1-level Power 5 head coach that's been there and can be another set of eyes to help and communicate those things throughout the week and with you. And losing GP, that's a big part that you lost last year. Gary Patterson was really unique in that role because we've seen Nick Saban, he did it for Sark. I mean, he's revitalized a lot of careers, guys going through that coaching car wash. But, man, I not that I can think of, Gary Pat, uh, Nick Saban didn't even hire a Hall of Fame coach like Sark did with Gary Patterson. I mean, Gary Patterson at some point is going to be in the College Football Hall of Fame basically built that TCU program. TCU's got tradition, but he built it into what what now everybody knows TCU football to be. Gary Patterson built it in that. So it, it was a really unique situation. And I think now by adding three guys, you're adding three guys that specialize in a different side of the football. That can Whereas, whereas GP had enough experience, enough knowledge to be able to have a lot of, a, a lot of fingers in a lot of different pots – Instead of spreading one guy thin where you're not sure, you're probably not going to get anybody the caliber of Gary Patterson this time around, and just hire three guys that can specialize in all three phases and help you do whatever needs to be done in those three phases. So I, I like it from that standpoint just in terms of you know shedding the load a little bit. But I, I think overall, Rod, I even want to take a step back from where you were going with it. And, and kind of my theme for, for this season, even above uh, just looking at it from the offensive standpoint, I, I, that's the one, the one thing we really – don't know about this staff, period. We know they can recruit. We know they work well together. We know they can develop talent. We know they know how to implement, carry out, and and manage a culture. We've seen them do a lot of really good things. The one thing we really haven't seen this staff do is on a consistent basis, are they good enough in those three phases to give you schematic advantages that you're going to need in tight games? No, we do. No, Jeff Banks has. 
Okay, I'll give you Banks. Jeff Banks mm-hmm. has. You've actually Across yeah, the board. been able to keep you in games and give you an advantage in special teams. So I, I take Jeff Banks out of the conversation for both Sark and PK. Okay. You know, I, not like, I think and I, PK obviously part of over oversaw a drastic improvement on defense, one of the greatest improvements in the history of Texas football. Yeah. But that was also with that coincided with Gary Patterson, yeah. all right, coming as the special assistant, and you just remarked about him being one of the greatest football minds out there and definitely defensively one of the greatest foot, defensive football minds in the history of college football. So now we want to see without him, and he has an our special assistant, which we'll get to in a second as mm-hmm. well, um, that will help him because I think that he miscalculated the overall ecosystem of the Big 12 when he came in, and having Gary Patterson, a seasoned veteran of the terrain, was able to break it down for him and go, no, 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 man, this is what you need to do. You got to go, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you got pattern match, we're going match quarter zone, that's what we're going to do a ton of, we can do this, we can do that with the talent that you have. And I think now PK has, he's got the, the kind of the cliff notes of what yeah. the Big 12 is, but with Sark, the biggest issue with Sark and going back to your schematic advantage issue, um, yeah, Sark's just Sark's got to learn how to be a chess master, and he's not a chess master yet, right? He is one of the best minds in college football at game planning preparation. His game planning preparation is unbelievable. That's why his script, right, early on, yeah. awesome, right? Teams have a tough time adjusting to it, and they're honestly a lot of times overwhelmed early on in games by Sark's script, and we know just because we've watched Sark now to, to your sample size, after the script is done, his toughest job is find how to be, be able to anticipate the adjustments of his opposing coaches, all right, and come up with creative counters. That's the chess match within the game. And he is not yet a chess master. Texas will not be a championship football team until he become a chess master. Now, you could just have so much talent, you overwhelm everything, which could happen, but it's not going to happen this year. I'm talking about this year. Yeah. He's going to Texas to be a championship team this year. He's got to take the next step as a coach, and he's got to become a guy that can anticipate the adjustments uh, of the opponents better based on the scheme and how he's exploiting and how he's attacking teams and then being able to come up with creative counters or already have those counters ready to go, which is why I thought Gary Patterson would help him more. I do think he improved there. But last yeah. year, was it just – hand the ball off to Bijan and Rojo? Was it just common sense, or did you actually improve as a calculated tactical chess master? That we don't know yet. We'll, we'll, we'll know. We'll have more evidence is, yeah. this year mm-hmm. when, when that he's obviously put in that position, which he will be a few times, and we'll be able to see. But most of the time, Sark's offense allows him to just jump on teams because his game plan and preparation is really, really impressive. But unfortunately, football is four quarters, not just one and a half, which is usually when his script is already up. The Banks thing to me, just go to that for a second. We're bringing in Joe D. Camillus. That to me is, Rob, that, I thought about it over the weekend. This is akin to what you talked about with Texas running a lot of 12 personnel last year when you double down on the strength, like the strength was your running back. So I'm going to give them every advantage possible to succeed and thrive. Mm-hmm. That to me is what bringing in Joe D. Camillus is like, look, think about how good Texas has been on special teams the last two years. And we've gone into each of those seasons with major question marks in the kicking game, yep. right? Like in 21, it was, man, how's Cameron Dicker going to handle punting and kicking, like doing both? Like, mm-hmm. is, is it going to work? Uh, and, and think about how many just special teams gaps there were in the Charlie Strong era and the Tom Herman era. I mean, special teams was losing you games. Yep. And mm-hmm. it was a positive. The, 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 other than the fake punt against Baylor, unless there's just something that I'm completely missing – Special teams was a plus for you in an otherwise forgettable year. Like it was the one phase like that you didn't have to worry about. It wasn't mm-hmm. hurting you. 
No, it was above average. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It has like been the last two years. And then last year. It was the only good thing the two years ago. So then last year you lose Dicker, and it's like, okay, we don't know who's punting. We don't know who's kicking off. We don't know who's kicking field goals. And between Burt Auburn, Will Stone, and Daniel Trejo, to Matt's point, like you ended up being solid. Like you were you were average to maybe even above average. I think this year with, you know, whether it's Burt Auburn or Will Stone, whoever wins that kicking job, bringing in a grad transfer punter, Ryan Sandboard from Stanford, and with the fact that you've recruited and developed this roster, like this is Sark's roster, if you're Jeff Banks, I'm looking at this thinking, man, between my coverage teams and my return teams, I'm going to have the best coverage and return teams I've had since I've been here. I'm going into year three. I should I should have the best in the conversation to be the best coverage and return units in the country. With the size-speed ratios I've got at my big skill positions and everything else, should be really good. So I think bringing in Joe D. Camillus, that's doubling down on the strength. That's saying that's getting an advanced look, especially and you talk about tight games. Hey, does this team, because Jeff there's stuff Jeff Banks doesn't have time to do in prep. Joe D. Camillus can take him a report and say, hey, this team likes this kind of onside kick. When they're in this formation, they might like a, a, a right kickoff. They might like a left kickoff. They might try to directional punt when they're in this position. Whatever it is, Rod, you've been in NFL special teams meetings. You know how in-depth uh, and nuanced those things go. Joe D. Camillus can give Jeff Banks that information, and we've seen Jeff Banks be good enough in-game where when he gets a feeling, when he gets a hunch, he can go attack it, and and they can produce really good results on special teams. Yeah, um, and I'll go even deeper because I, I agree with everything you said. I'll go deeper and say, and obviously we're just psychoanalyzing, just, just, just spitballing here, but this theorizing, I would like to hypothesize that Sark, just me thinking I'm seeing the best in Sark, that he is saying to himself, all right, this is going to be the best year I've ever had in my offense for a tight end. And I need Jeff Banks to focus on making sure that I maximize and weaponize what could be the best yeah. tight end in the country or one of them. All right, JT Sanders behind Brock Bowers. I mean, obviously Brock Bowers is top tight end in the country. But behind him, it's a wide-open conversation, and mm-hmm. JT is in that conversation. And we talked about it last week at nauseum. Go check out the Blitz if you missed it, that, you know, based on Sark's history of tight ends and his words, by the way, that he says that tight end, second most important position in his offense behind quarterback – and it, I don't know if he's had a freakish five-star athlete like J.T. Sanders at tight end who could be a five-tool tight end and who's advanced, accelerated development from one year to two just playing the position for the first time. Yeah. I think maybe that was eye-opening for him, and maybe he is starting to say, you know what, I can build Pat my passing concepts around J.T. Sanders or I can feature him or run the passing game through him. Not all the time, but I can afford to do it a few games. Uh, if we have an advantageous matchup and if he is going to be the potentially have the greatest tight end season and I think he should have the greatest tight end season in Texas football history and leave here statistically as the greatest tight end in Texas football history and be the most prolific tight end in Sark's play calling career which is also I mean I think he could be in that conversation then maybe I need Jeff Banks yes keep doing what you're doing on special teams you can oversee that but maybe you need a little bit of help in special teams so that we can have you focusing on yeah. getting JT Sanders now to the next level as a tight end. I'm talking about NFL, you know, first couple of rounds type of yeah, tight end. I'll, I'll go a step further than that too, Rod. We're, we're just adding steps onto each other's mm-hmm. thoughts. I think it's, hey, you got you to gotta prepare for worst-case scenarios. If I'm Sark, I'm telling Jeff Banks, we need to figure out what we've got with Gunnar Helm, 
and Juan Davis. You won't see Will Randall this year coming off the knee injury, but even Spencer Shannon coming in here as a true freshman. You need to make sure that room is right because we can't. We know nobody in that tight end room can replace Jatavian Sanders, but I. If something were to happen, I need mm-hmm. that tight end room to be. If I'm start talking to Jeff Banks, I'm saying I need that tight end room to be functional. It's got to function at least. Yeah, I well, can't just I can't just not have a tight end on the field. Agreed. Well, like you said, there is no replacement for JT Sanders, yeah. right? Yeah. I and I, I love what you brought up there. I think they. If something does happen, knock on wood, nothing's going to happen. All right, if something, uh, by the way, ends up happening, then you don't need it to decimate the offense totally. And it won't because I think most of the time they're going to try to be in the 11 because they got really good wide receivers this Mm -hmm. year. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think most of the time you're going to be in a kind of a one tight end sets. But, yeah, we know Sarkis and Sarkis been playing two tight ends, you know, it was 40%, basically around 40% of the time. Now, let's let's get real deep into the weeds, right? Um, just we're here for on the little research I've done and just my base knowledge of Paul Christ and his time in Wisconsin. Right, I know for ends. a fact Wisconsin not only loves mm-hmm. their tight ends, yes, they running do. backs too. They love, tight ends. they love extra O line packages. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They've Jumbo. on multiple occasions well documented that they've used six, seven, eight O-line packages in the time that Paul Chris was there. I've talked about it here on this show, and I made the prediction earlier this year that I think one of the personnel groupings that we're going to see kind of shift, you're going to see that six O-line package, you're going to see it increase this season. Why? Well, you got a... You got a you know an ex you got a it's a surplus right of great O linemen mm-hmm. but you need to you need to get on the field you need to figure out some way to juice the running game by the way extra girth on the O line right that juices the running game um, and also I think Sark likes the um, he and I'll get the numbers here in a second I think he likes the ability to be able to throw the football downfield we know oh, that yeah. the deep passing game and that gives you an extra blocker. Yeah. In the in the run game too. So based on Paul Chris, you know, recent history, and based on what Sarks, and by the way, I, I've watched coaching clinics where Kyle Flood says he wants to do it thirty to forty percent of the time. Yeah, he wants to run a sixth, an extra old lineman out there thirty percent of the time, and thirty forty percent of the time. I'm like, man, well, you actually do have enough big old linemen to do it. Now they got what they call a big eleven, big twelve packages. And the big 12 package consists of their two tight ends. That's what they mm-hmm. ran a lot of last year with Andre Carrick. This year, I mean, you may see their big 11 where – and it's it's weird the way they like to, to, to do it with Sark. I see – they were doing it in Atlanta. They started kind of experimenting with it in Atlanta. And, by the way, it wasn't just them. They didn't come up with this. The NFL was doing this um, around the time that Sark became the offensive coordinator, probably a little bit before that, actually. You probably got five years before that team started Unbalanced line has been a thing in football since I've started following football. Um, But it became kind of in vogue in the NFL around the time that Sark came in. And now – Kyle Flood loves it, so and Paul Chris is a big fan of it. Sark likes it. You got a lot of big old linemen, talented old linemen. You're trying to get on the field. I wouldn't doubt if that package increases a ton, than than, than more than it did last year. Last year they yeah. actually took away from their their original, or I would say the kind of traditional twelve personnel, just two tight one back, two tight ends, and they played a lot more two back sets because you had Bijan and Rojo and they played a lot more of the uh big twelve packages with the six O linemen. So that is something Black Shirt, I'm just gonna tell you right now, you're gonna see more of it. And they like to throw I wanna say the play action pass rate That's what I was gonna ask you out about. of oh, the so six O line packages probably nine upwards of ninety yeah. percent. Seems like last year. Most of their vertical shots 
probably through the midway point of the year. Were co- like when they came out with that 6 line package, you know they're going to run a play-action shot and they're going deep. And yeah. Well, if you just look across football, like the highest correlations, like if you're going to look by package and what type of personnel groupings you have out there, if you're going to be going something like Rod saying with a jumbo line or especially mm-hmm. if you're going like with like one wide receiver and trying to get in, basically you're just trying to get them to stack eight men in the box. And then that's where with Texas's personnel where now like this may be the first year you have multiple deep threat options. Like if you have guys – like, say, Mitchell or Nayor, in addition to Worthy being able to take the top off, like, you look at those proportions and it's going to be deep balls, like the highest correlated pass to those type of formations. Yep. Yeah. Um, Rod, did you figure out what percent, ever figure out what percentage of vertical shots they took as deep balls they threw out, out of that extra line package last year? Mm, I gotta go back and look at my notes. It, it I'm seems sure like a it's lot. In there, some there. Oh, it's yeah. a lot. It, it sure. is a lot. Yeah, they they. That, I mean, most of their shots were vertical because the the play action uh, pass rate is really high. So, I mean, I want to say the run rate is probably close to seventy percent out of their six zero line package too. Yeah. yeah. So but that's then why the thirty percent passes, it's going to be like twenty seven percent. Yeah. Yeah. More, yeah. more than. 55 to 60% of those are deep shots. Yeah. So to your shots. to your point Rod about talking about personnel on the offensive line. I mean think about think about how far this line has come when we're we're sitting here what 2 3 months whatever it is before camp starts and you're thinking about the personnel up front you're like man between Cam Cam Williams, DJ Campbell, Cole Hudson and Hayden Connor. Two of those guys aren't going to start. Mm-hmm. Where there's been years in the past where you'd find a way to get all four of them in the, in among your first five. Yeah. You know, right. so and two of those guys aren't going to start. Yeah. That's just, that's crazy to think about. returning everybody from last yeah. year. And then now you got this group that from a couple of years ago that you recruited, which was one of the hot top five highest graded classes, what, in the last 10 years? Yeah. You know I mean, so you got to find a way to get those guys on the field. Six O line. If you're rotating linemen, I mean, having a, having two guys that can play that six O line package is a great tool to utilize. And the big 12 is, you know, it it's, a passing league, you know, cross-dressing as, you know, it's a it's a running league, cross-dressing, a passing league, but you still have very light, light-ish defenders for the most mm-hmm. part, and you can play bully ball. Hey, like, yeah. if you I want to, you can play bully ball. I don't know if we brought this up, but I, and I don't know how this grabs you guys or if it does anything for you at all, but they really worked with Hayden Connor because part of the time because he was, by the end of spring, he was the healthiest interior guy that could mm-hmm. back up Jake Majors. Does Hayden Connor at center do anything for you guys? Or is it just, hey, it's Jake Majors until you really can no, find you somebody to, that can legitimately push him? I defer no, to you, you on O-line. I don't know. Yeah, but you definitely need options, man. You need to have you a contingency plan. you got to have a backup plan. center. Yeah. I mean, not just one like, oh, at least we got a body we can throw out there. No, no. You need one that won't tank your season. Yeah, yeah. the way we just said about Jatavian, it's more important to have a center. That's a good backup because you can change your offense if you lose a skill guy mm-hmm. and morph around it. And other parts on the line. If you lose a change. center, that's very unique, yeah. and it's point A, and it can actually make where somebody, say, doesn't have a pass rush or can't get to the quarterback, but then if you have somebody that's just a hole there in the front, oh, it can man. make an ineffective D-line become hyper-effective and totally kill you great. from the inside. Yeah, you got to figure I mean, that think out. Think about that, you know, the 2018 season, the first half of that season leading up to the Oklahoma game. What a godsend it was to be able to have, you know, Derek Kerstetter and Rodriguez, and you had some guys that could give you some position flex yep. up front. And when Shackelford went down, that could have caused your offense to crater if you didn't have a a, a respectable option yep. at center. So 
Yeah, I, I'm with you, Rod, from the standpoint of I'm always thinking about backup center because, man, if that guy goes down, who's the next guy and does he have experience? And can, can he handle getting the snap to the quarterback? And then beyond that, it's like, okay, then if he can push the number one, that's a bonus at that point. I just need mm-hmm. to have somebody that can come in at center in a pinch and not cause your whole offensive line to just combust. Crater. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And I said if – Hell, you, you probably need you know multiple options because if you put in the other guy and he doesn't work out, you know you'd like to have you wouldn't like that to be a panic moment. Yeah, so, I mean you and you'll get Connor Robertson back too. And yeah, he he was exactly. he was your backup center. You, just, you need a depth chart at center. Yeah. It's just hard because centers are tough a tougher position to evaluate and find at the the higher the higher levels you go up. They are. Yeah, I don't know what you can compare it to, but centers are one of those things like you don't realize how important it is until you don't have one. Damn right. Yeah, well, I mean, it's sort of like, say, in yeah. baseball, if you have a pitcher, I mean, this guy throws 98, it's great stuff, but he can't throw a strike. And if you're just walking people all the time, then it doesn't matter. And, like, if you don't have a center, it's like you don't notice it, but then if you're ineffective, you're going to notice it every single play. Mm-hmm. It's like your exactly. appen- like appendix. I've high school games where that's the case. I'm like, man, they ain't got a center. It don't matter what the yeah. hell. I don't care about that athlete on the outside. Yeah. I won't be able to watch. What part, of your, uh, what part of your internal organs, maybe it's your appendix, so like, man, it, what purpose does it serve? doesn't really serve a purpose, but if it ruptures, you're in a world of hurt, and yeah. it's going to be painful, and you need emergency surgery. Damn right. Yeah. Exactly. That's <laughs> No, it really is. Like, yeah. it's, I, it, uh, I it, flash back to my first year of college and writhing in pain and wondering what the hell's going on and my it was my appendix oh man yeah i've yeah. actually had a yeah i had a girlfriend i used to date who had an appendix burst on her uh, yeah yeah okay like the, I think it was you close. think you're gonna die like she was right there yeah they were like you all and you would go septic i think basically yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. it does like, yeah, yeah. Right. that's gross yeah so that's how we talk about that's how we uh <laughs> quantify backup centers here on longhorn blitz uh <laughs> yeah, but no here's that. here's the other thing i really like with the paul christ hire like besides the schematic stuff you know, Sark talked about having Gary Patterson as a sounding board, but I think for him now to have that guy that's been a Power 5 head coach to be the sounding board, one thing that fascinates me, by the way, Paul Christ, I can say this because I did have once upon a time of like a five to ten minute interaction with Paul Christ. Nice. Good good dude. Let, let me hang out and watch some film with him that he was watching at a high school that's for cool. a few mm-hmm. minutes. Uh, Paul Christ, good dude. Um, and well, actually, San Antonio for a little while. And actually, yeah, weird yeah. enough, like some people on the, the flagship yeah. message board at Horns 24-7, like, oh, yeah, I worked with Paul when he was coaching the San Antonio Riders in the World League of Football. Damn. And he's, wow. a, he's a great guy. That's crazy. Yeah. What was that? Uh, what? Jason, when Jason Garrett was quarterbacking the uh, San Antonio Riders wow. back in the day. That's crazy. The World Football League. I, was, I, don't, I, don't, even, I don't even think I'm familiar with the World Football League. It's only around for, well, it, it basically, it, it morphed into NFL Europe. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I remember seeing a few football cards for it. Mm. Yeah. There you go. Um, but the thing that fascinates me about Paul Christ, beyond the schematic stuff, is Sark has that sounding board. And it's a guy that, as a head coach, initially called his own plays mm-hmm. and then gave up play calling and then kind of got in that that weird space when things don't go right and you want to you wanna take play calling back, but you want to trust your assistants, but then you – I did, you know, do some Google searching over the weekend and found Paul Christ at one point. I think it was in twenty twenty one. He did use the term collaborative play calling, and we all know how no! how that how sideways that can go. Uh, but yeah, I, I, and I think he can, Rod. He can give Sark the perspective of whatever perspective it is. It's like you know, I gave up play calling, and I wish I hadn't because. Mm-hmm. Here's what I liked about it being a head coach calling my own plays. And once I didn't, here's what I thought. I felt I lost perspective of. Or, no, I wish I would have done it earlier 
or, or had I continued to call plays, I would have changed this or whatever what perspective it is. Or, yeah. yeah, whatever perspective it is, that can help Sark. And I'm not saying this is going to lead to Sark giving up play calling, but I think Sark, we've talked about it at times, man, as an offensive play card, you, you can get to tunnel vision. And I think mm-hmm. just helping Sark be a little bit more perceptive about seeing the forest through the trees, so to say, that to me is the most intriguing part about this Paul Christ edition. Yeah, I've, I've heard um, play callers just talk about this and describe it in different ways. Doug Peterson probably had the best description of it when he was talking about, you know, being a play caller and also you know, being a head coach and a play caller, which at one point he's done. I think he's still doing it now, now with Jacksonville, mm-hmm. actually. And he said, honestly, the truth is the best way he can describe it as you just get writer's block. Great writers get writer's block. You just get you say you can't describe, you don't know what it is. It's basically their description of the yips, pretty yep. much, where you, uh, or, you know, maybe there's just certain blind spots you have as a coordinator. Everybody has blind spots um, for different things in their lives. And I do think for Sark, like I said, I think Sark's writer's block comes after his script and at when he has to improvise and when he's got a freestyle. Mm-hmm. I always say it's different between a coordinator and a play caller. A great coordinator can coordinate an offense really well um, and they can come up preparation and game plan, come up with a really good way to exploit the opposing team, and that's your game plan, right? So mm-hmm. I think game planning-wise, there's no doubt Sark is an awesome coordinator, but as a play caller, sometimes I do question his ability as a play caller because I think play calling is more about your ability to improvise on the fly and be able to adjust on the fly, come up with counters on the fly, and I don't think Sark's really comfortable with that. I think Sark likes everything to operate on schedule, which we know about him. He's talked kind of uh, remarked about this. He likes his quarterbacks on schedule. He likes his offense on schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, and he doesn't really like it, you know, to, to operate off schedule or off book, off script. And I think that's where, honestly, great coaches, you have to venture into that great unknown. And you have to kind of relish in it. You have to, as, as you know, I know, I know for Sark, it probably is a little bit scary. Um, but honestly, I think you got to embrace it. Um, mm-hmm. and, as a play caller, and tr- that's when you got to trust your instincts. Almost and like, be mind you, like Star Wars, where you know, what I mean, no, and I mean that's how yeah. you find out about the Force. It's like, no, I got it. I get, like you got all the knowledge. You know, you yep. have all the knowledge. Dive into the great unknown and just you know start going off more of your instincts as a play caller. And that goes with your you know the feel of the game. Does he have a great feel of the game? I've questioned Sark's feel of the game sometimes. That you got to have a feel of the game, and sometimes you don't play the hand right. You play the man. Yeah. All right. And I think Sark at times wants to play the hand really bad. It's like, no, study the OC, study the DC you're going up against. You got to yep. know that guy. You got to watch enough film. You got to do both. He always in this situation. I know he, he likes to do. He likes yep. to do this. I don't I don't know if that's enough of that in Sark's game as well. I think you got to do more studying your opponent to know that, all right, to hell with the game itself right now. What is that man over there thinking? Is he right now thinking that he's going to finish me? That he's gonna, you know what I mean? Like Those you, tendencies. You got to be able to hop into the shoes of the opposing coordinator, and I do think for Sark sometimes that's tough. And, of course, it's going to be tough when you're the head coach and the play caller. So I, I think – you know, getting back to it, yes, I just think that's – I don't know if you want to call it writer's block. I don't know if you want to call it a blind spot. But every coach has their weaknesses. And I think for Sark, his is pretty obvious, but it's not something that cannot be fixed. Yeah, yeah And, and some, not something he, has improved, he hasn't improved on either. Right. Yeah, and I mean, and you could totally see – and I like the thing that Peterson brought up because it reminded me something that I heard from a basketball player talk about in that same situation because you have the clock running down and you have to be able to be – not only confidence in your play call, but then, like you're saying, mentally playing that 
chess match and be so confident in what you've researched that then you're fearless and almost have to be reacting because there's no time to think. Mm-hmm. And the thing that happens when players start thinking, and I'm not trying to compare this because like panic attacks are very serious, but when you hear Kevin Love talk about what happened to him when he was on the court and how he was able to, what would go into his panic attacks in his mind, and it would hit almost like you said, you get to a point of a writer's block, but then everything freezes, but then you know you can't have time to freeze, and everything then, yep. once you do that, it blurs everything else out, and if you say are a person with anxiety, that's where it goes downhill for them mm-hmm. and stuff. And it's the same way. I could easily see a play caller knowing that you're in the time, but you're trying to process, but if you're already at that mm-hmm. point, instead of reacting, you start thinking, and at that point, it really, you just run out of time, and it can just snowball and get worse and worse and worse yep. when you're inside mm-hmm. it. So there's just so much involved with being that play caller that no once you get yeah. to that point, it's like, man, if you're having to deal with all of that, you're going to be losing the match because it almost has to become instinctive reactionary yeah. and your mind has to be a supercomputer processing everything that you've prepared for a week. And if you don't, you start to freak out. Hey man, I love that. I, I was just randomly thinking about this and I don't know, maybe uh, this is a dumb point to make. Not that I don't make those many, uh, many times during the show anyway, but with Sark struggling in that area, Rod, it's almost like it works against him to be to coach with a lead, right? Like if you think about it, if you're coaching in a tight game, you're less likely to take risks. You're you're more likely to just be in tune with what's going on and trying to play complementary football. And it almost seems like you're more you're you're more. It's more trading punches when you really feel the need to kind of you got that sense of urgency about you. Like okay, I need a really good drive right here. Mm-hmm. Got to have my best stuff. Whereas. Maybe Sark just gets too comfortable playing with the lead where he feels like, all right, I want to fill something out, but I will take this possession to do it. And then by the time you do that, you realize, okay, we just wasted three possessions here. Now the other team's back in the game. Yeah, I mean, that's it, it could be that. I'm not saying it's out because I don't really know exactly what it is. I, I don't claim to know. I, I do think for, you know, I, I, just observational-wise, like I, <laughs> we've talked about this on the show. Sometimes Sark, like he, he has these kind of one-hit wonders of plays where he will just do it one time and you never ever see it again. Yeah. It's like, yep. hey, that worked. Yeah. You should do it again. Do it again <laughs> and then build like, something off it. Play the hits. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he, he doesn't like to play the hits. He likes, you know, for some reason, in his shuffle you got of my plays, bag. It's full he of never, things. He has a great play and he throws it out and you never see it again. I'm like, man, sometimes just play the hits. If it worked, it might work Make again. Make him stop it. Yeah, I mean, that's so I, I'm not saying do it back to back, but I see sometimes I'll see it in the first quarter. I'm like, it's the third and fourth quarter. Can I see that? Your mm-hmm. offense is struggling. Go yeah. back to the play that got you 15 yards in the first quarter. That wasn't part of the script. So oftentimes I love the script, but he never goes back to the script. Yeah. Like, so you know, I was like, that was a great play in the first 20 plays. Oh, yeah, it's for like, sure. He never goes back to that script. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, I think some of it can just be, you know, there can be fail safes put in place for it. He can put them in place himself. Like, all right, you know what? Maybe I can go back to the script. Not. I can't do it with every play, but there maybe there are select plays that I can identify that, hey, I can go back to those. Those successful help spark the offense. But, but, you know, we've seen, listen, that Alabama game, Sark was, you can tell he was very prepared, extremely mm-hmm. prepared. Yeah. Because it was one of the first games, and he lost his starting quarterback. Yeah. And I think that almost gave him freedom where he knew he was like, well, my offense can't be the same. 
even yeah. though he says it's the same offense with Quinn and with Hudson Card. We all yeah, know it's not the same offense, right? And I think it almost did, to your point, you know, that maybe situationally sometimes it, it did give him kind of a freedom where he was like, all right, well, I don't have Quinn, so I definitely don't – I can't do any of the other stuff that I did. But he was so prepared and knew the opponent. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's, he really – he knew the opponent. Well, remember all those pass interference calls they kept getting? That was feel of the game stuff. That was like, man, they, man, one-on-one coverage. These guys – they don't know how to play Aren't the ball. Good? All right, you know what? Let's just keep going. And th- to me, that was one of his. Oh, that was one. To me, that was one of his great moments here at Texas. We were like, that's real because he lost his starting quarterback, and we know how uncomfortable he is with you know doing things on the fly, off script. He had to go off script, totally different offense, and he simply went off his feel of the game and his knowledge of the opposing coach and the, of the opposing culture mm-hmm. and the players. And yep. it was it was amazing. Hell, Texas almost got back in. If you're like, well, they didn't really move the ball much. That was one of the best defenses in the country. He lost his starting quarterback, and Bijan Robinson was essentially a non-factor at times. And yeah. he had to play the man in that game. He yes. knew that though. He had to play. The I man. think he maybe doesn't always yes. know that and he I, has to play I the think man. He's got to figure out when to combine all that stuff. But I'm with you though. I think yeah, sometimes maybe him being in kind of a, a dog fight and we saw it this year right he was in the dog fight of sorts in the Iowa State game yep. the Baylor game wasn't going away so it's now he just went to a Bijan and Rojo adjustment but you know hey, man you, you did what you needed to do yeah. Yeah. to win the damn game and yeah. that's to me that's the growth for Sark so this year without Bijan and Rojo though what are you going to go back mm-hmm. to to help you win those well, and if you look even back at you know, Sark's time, we talk about PK not really, you know, understanding the Big 12 he was coming to. If we're talking about, you know, Sark at times, maybe his lack of playing the man instead and in when he, the way he came into this conference, maybe he didn't really feel or do his due diligence as much to know the man he's coaching against their tendencies. Like, I know he probably knew GP. GP was pretty, you know, famous of a coach, had tendencies to build upon. He, Texas beat GP his first year. Well, whenever GP probably he probably cliff notes on everybody. Well, and I'm 12, saying the too. year before yeah. that even, though, and that's why he probably went and got GP. Yeah, exactly. But when he got yeah. here, maybe he didn't necessarily – valued playing the man as much as he should have and not knowing the tendencies of the coach because then, like, right to start year two, he's able to beat Saban, but then you see those same struggles against your everyday Big 12 ones. So maybe it's something he didn't value as much as maybe he should. Because when he was at Alabama, he didn't need to play the man because his hand was better than just about everybody else's. And at USC, it was the same way. And then, you know, like when he got here, maybe that was something that it was a staff-wide issue. But at Washington, that wasn't the case. Yeah, but if you look at that, that Washington team that he had his, what would that have been his second year when he had Jake Locker uh, and they beat Nebraska in the Holiday Bowl? Yeah. I think you could go back and look at that season. That's another one of those, Rod, like it was like last year. Like Jake Locker's not the kind of quarterback Sark would have recruited at all. No. And he's like, okay, I can't do what I want. I got to make do with what I got. Yep. Let's change it up, even though you might have told everybody, no, no, this is my offense. This is the same thing. We, you look and see that it's really not the same offense. Yeah. But he made it work. Like he got the most he got the most out of it. Jake Locker got drafted in the first round. Yes, he did. And we all know that was a dang coaching mistake. He's pulling yeah. the wool over well, somebody's yeah. eyes. <laughs> He's done that a handful of times with QBs. Yeah. 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 Um, but I, I think bringing in Paul Chris, bringing in uh, Payam Sudat for the defense, bringing in Jody Camillus for the special teams, I think, too, and Rod, I, I don't know if you used this cut on your show or not, but when I went down to the to Houston for the Texas Fight Tour and got a few minutes with Sark, I was I asked him about you know being the head coach and the play caller and kind of where his growth has come from. He said something really interesting. He, he talked about 
working better with PK, working better with the staff, and how much better communication was in year two. And that got me thinking, that's complimentary football. Because yep. to communicate, we knew how bad the defense was in 21, and we knew how feast or famine the offense was. And if you throw uncertain communication on top of that, no wonder they couldn't play complimentary football. The right hand didn't know what the left hand was doing. Now, not only do you have better personnel, not only do you trust the defense more, mm-hmm. but now if you're communicating, now you you can actually play complimentary football. Yeah, and I pulled Because the now you've coached enough games with those guys, and it start getting more comfortable. Yeah, he's probably thinking, yeah, I can get comfortable with PK telling me in my headset, all right, hey, we need at least two first downs here. Don't have a problem because we feel like with the time they're going to have, where they're going to get the ball, we feel like we can go get a stop. So don't feel the need to press and go take a shot, or whatever the case is. And that, again, Sark's on the hunt for complimentary football. I think that the communication process of these three special assistants can help further that, then that's gonna, we're going to see a, more, a product that looks a lot more like the complimentary football that Sark always talks about. And if you can play complimentary on both sides, and then we mentioned it earlier about the special teams being the only thing the last two years that was above average. It was uh, Bill Conley's SP Plus had Texas, when you had Dicker, the kicker, actually had a above average kicker. Texas was number six in the country in special teams yep. in 2021 when you lost seven games. And then last year when, say, kicking was an issue from time to time, you still were 44th in the country, which is well above average. So you can sort of see that if you had an above average kicker, would have probably been up near where it was in 2021. It's yep. just the, it's the, the stability. Ability of special teams that I, I'm not taking for granted because, like I said, when you had Charlie Strong, your special teams were just abysmal. It, it was oh. losing you games. And then for, for under Tom Herman, it became a wash. Like, oh, yeah, we, we blocked the punt, returned it for a touchdown. Yeah, but you also got a punt blocked, and they returned it for a touchdown, so it's a wash. Like, it doesn't, mm-hmm. doesn't matter at that point. That's why under Sark, though, I would say I am actually come just by looking. Yeah, it was like his worst team, and he had the sixth best special teams unit in the country. Yeah. And then you were above average last year when you didn't have a good kicker. So if there's anything, if we're looking at tendencies, I'd be pretty confident that they can figure something out with – the best case of athletes where you finally are going to have some above-average type guys. And he, him, he even at Saban, when he was with him, they always play good players on special teams, no, and not everybody totally does good. that. No, I, I Jeff Banks, you can make the argument. Yeah. He's most been the most consistent coordinator on yeah. this damn team yeah. uh, so far. So I'm not worried He's about been, that. And it, you look at tight ends. Um, and tight ends Those other have, coaches, yes. have gotten much better uh, in the last two years since he's been here. So I, bringing in Joe D. Camillus, who is a 31, 32-year uh, mm-hmm. NFL special teams aficionado. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's a serious upgrade. But as you pointed out, Jeff, that's just doubling down on a strength already. Yeah. you got the Philadelphia Eagles defensive line. You know what yeah. I mean? You're just kind of stockpiling uh, on, on greatness. But I do think there is a – I think there is a intentional, deliberate reason for it. I, I like – I hadn't thought about that, I but I love he, your theory. Yeah, yeah. Jeff Banks is a damn good special uh, – damn good position coach too. Mm-hmm. I think he wants him to, to make sure that tight end room – I love what you talked about, the tight end room as a whole, but also that JT Sanders is taking his game to the next level. Tight end is going to be more important, potentially more prolific in this offense than it has been on the Ford Acres in a long, long time. Yeah, I'm a part of it. To to what you said earlier, and we talked about this last week too. Even looking at a guy like Austin Safarian Jenkins, who put up a ton of numbers for mm-hmm. Sark at Washington, Sark's never had an athlete like JT Sanders at that position. I like this. He hadn't had a freak. Mm-mm. I mean, JT's a freak. He is, dude. I know that term gets thrown around pretty liberally. Oh, he's a freak. He's a freak. No, 
JT Sanders is a freak. Yeah, and it was like ASJ yeah. was a five star, but he was a big body t- tight end, a five star. Jatavian's like a guy that is athletically a freak that does things that also was highly recruited, but it was because his skill set, he was such an athletic mm-hmm. freak. It was like one of those guys that you don't know. He could almost be like a power forward in basketball, or he could be a D end, or he could be a tight end. It was just find a way to get on the court. Yeah, he, he's great. he's a great athlete. He just happens to be. 6'4", 240-plus. Yeah. <laughs> that has the best yeah. hands on the team until Bijan would want to almost fight him Bichon over Bichon it. actually would. Bijan was upset about that. He mentioned oh, it multiple well, times. Did he you see the video Bijan uploaded the other day? he was drafted, he brought it up in an interview. Yeah. He was like, yeah, but it actually was the best hands on the team. Coach said it. Still dude. motivated. <laughs> did you see him doing 360 it. one-handed catches in yeah. camp? And they were starting them with yeah. the wide receivers. Yeah, he said he could play the slot when he yep. first got it. He was like, you can play H if you wanted him to. He'll replace Duvernay I, if you want him well, to. Well, uh, Dan Patrick had, he said he talked to an NFL GM that said they would turn him into Debo. Like, they would just turn him into Hold Debo on. Samuel. Yeah. They just put him as a Debo Samuel just you know, just got to start starting kit and just put him in the slot let him run routes. Uh, but I think Atlanta's they're going to do something a little – a little, a little short of the Debo model, but he'll probably be one of the most utilized, weaponized, dual-threat running backs in the league. That's why I said his representation, he needs to be saying, I'm not a running back, I'm a all, more all-type-purpose weapon, and just be called that because they get paid like three times more. Well, the, in the Atlanta front office is going to say contract time again, no, you're a running back. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah, we say, well, yeah, that's exactly. what I'm saying. I will represent you, Bijan. I will uh, die on this hill for you. Example, I will try to go get use, that. When yeah. Tony Gonzalez got his first big contract, he, and he was like, it. I want to get paid like a wide receiver. And the Chiefs were like, then move to wide receiver. Jimmy Graham wants You're a tight end. It. We're going to pay you like a yeah. tight end. Well, okay, but what did Le'Veon Atlanta- Bell tried it too. Yeah. Le'Veon Bell tried it. Okay, but well, what did Bell. Atlanta then do on the very first day of OTAs? Mm. They worked him out solely as a wide receiver. Yeah, it doesn't matter though. The I know. NFL's I'm just saying. I'm not. I don't the, disagree with the, that. The, the, I'm just the saying. Billionaires win in this league. You die. <laughs> wait, it ain't. The they don't the mean. Billionaires don't win in bat. You think in basketball? Come you're an NBA guy. The NBA. Yeah, the players win. The billionaires win in this league. I agree, <laughs> but that doesn't mean you don't fight for it. I know, um, but you, we've given you many examples, yelling, and yeah. it ain't gonna happen. I know we got. I know we got to go. But Rod, to your point about that <laughs> comment Bijan made, I like the fact that you've got a team of guys that are like finding their edge. Like you remember. Jay Witt got hot about the fact that when Sark was mentioning the fastest guys on the team and he, he didn't, didn't include Jay Witt. Yeah. yeah. Well, Bijan didn't either. Yeah. I asked Bijan to put together a four by one team and he didn't mention Jay Witt. It was Jay Witt took it personally. Like, okay, I'm going to. I think Jay Witt just thinks yeah, he's the fastest guy. But hey, it's like, dude, you've had like 15 injuries. All right. Maybe you used to be the fastest guy. Yeah. Now you're just one of the most effective. Right? And it's you're okay, carrying 20 more pounds yeah. of muscle on you, bud. This is, this is okay, in that, this is in that realm of, uh, of my favorite Kwame Cavill quote the times we have Kwame, we've had Kwame on the show. Hey, False enthusiasm goes a long way. Whatever, whatever you need to do to develop your edge, you, embrace it. Hey, this isn't even it. false enthusiasm. It's not a lie yeah, if you believe it. Realm. It's yeah. Costanza. Yeah, not on that team. Well, because I, I don't even think he's the fastest receiver. No, no, right? No, no. X Man's faster. Yeah, X. Uh, he's the slowest was, receiver on the field most of the time. <laughs> well, now that Jonte Cook, yeah, is I love in you, there, Jonte. Jonte Cook. He might be. I love you. With it. Fourth or fifth? Because if you think about it, Jay Witt's gonna be hot. Yeah, think about you got worthy. Where are these fast? Nair? I don't know if is faster. I don't know. Just, don't just, run, just running a straight line? No. Nair's not faster than Jay Mitchell. I'm not going to disrespect that man like that. A.D. Mitchell? Probably. Jontae Cooks? Jontae's faster probably. than Jay Probably. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Jay Witt's probably, at, at best, yeah. fourth? Maybe fifth? Yeah. yeah. Fourth. 
Yeah, I know. So I don't know where he gets those numbers from. I, I love the, I love the just uh, the confidence. Post, he has posted, I think, at least a once, like an actual, like miles per hour clock time from the GPS, like whatever. Yeah. In so, football speed, it is he's gonna weird. Finally Some guys have it. And thump me in the junk with a car antenna. For saying <laughs> hey, that. Somebody's no, going to send it hey, to him, I know. No, I, I want to I know where he's getting his information. Or well, I would like to just <laughs> race Devin it. Duvernay next time he's in town. Because Duvernay, for halfway through the season, still had the fastest time in the NFL. It got broke by week 10. But Duvernay was at the yeah. highest of the so, highest. Return man. I mean, when you run ten two seven in high school, you probably can move a little bit. Yep. That, All right, Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod, be appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 1049 1019 AM 1260, streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can get Rod B. and Mike Harge each and every weekday on 3 to 7, from 3 to 7 on Ball Don't Lie. Shameless plug. You can also catch myself and Craig Way on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, catch all of our archives, our interviews, our classic shows are on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Don't forget, search Horns 24-7 all together. No dashes, slashes, or spaces anywhere you get your podcast. Click that follow button. You get every episode of The Blitz when it drops. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.